Lord God, what a privilege it is to serve you, to have a God like you. Sometimes, though, God, it's hard to keep up with you. And Father, I just thank you for these precious people who've come out this morning. And Lord, I don't want to disappoint them. And I really pray for your Holy Spirit to speak to every heart. Lord, even if it's nothing I say, God, you know what they each need in their lives right now. It may not be what they think, but we give you permission, we pray for your Holy Spirit to speak and minister to everyone in this room. And we thank you, Lord, for blessing them and for Jesus being lifted up. We love you, Lord. We're so grateful for you. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a... Um, <clears throat> I, I was in Central Cal. We moved to the World Church headquarters to work, which is Jerry's fault. I'm serious. Jerry never wanted to go to the GC. He'd been asked to go uh, years before, and he'd said no because we had little children, and he didn't want to tr do that much traveling. And, but Jerry was praying for a number of years. He said, Lord, when we're done in Central, would you do something where Janet and I can work together to teach people about prayer? And he kept praying this and praying this, and he'd tell me he was praying it, and uh, he'd claim promises. But I'd never, I laughed at him. I didn't think much about it. But do you know, for the past seven years now, that's what we've been doing? We go together everywhere, almost sometimes separately, but the majority of the time we're together and it's been such a blessing to our marriage and just, we get paid to share about Jesus and how real he is in our lives. We get paid to do this. I tell people that on the airplanes. I get paid to talk about God. It is so incredible what God will do in our lives. And, but anyway, this prayer group that prays every Tuesday, I just want you to know they've been praying for you all summer. And they will continue, because one thing I have written on their list, and I meet with them as often as I can, I'm traveling a lot, so I don't too much, is pray for them as they go back to school, or their jobs, whatever they're doing. I can't tell you how many times through the years I've had young people tell me at the end of the summer, will you please keep praying? It's easier to be spiritual when I'm selling the books, when we're together doing this. When I go back to school, it's hard. And we know it is, and just know you're being prayed for as you do this. Now, I just want you to know this isn't just some old lady up here talking to you that knows nothing about selling books. I sold books, I sold the big books for nine months. And I don't know what it's like with the MAGA books, the ones you do. I, I went out one time with some students doing that, but we had to learn uh, and memorize pages and pages of information about the books. And, and I remember going to the first home, and I wasn't doing cold door, you know, you're following leads. And I went to this home, and I was selling medical books and the Bible stories. And the lady invites me into her home. I start to spread out my books, and she said, uh, how much are they? Well, I was taught, you do not tell them how much it is. You give them the full canvas before you come in with the clothes of how much it costs. 
And so I said, well, I can't tell you yet. I need to explain to you about the books. And she says, but I want to buy the books. And I said, well, you, let me explain about the books. <laughs> and this poor woman sat there a couple of times, asked me, just tell me how much they are. She had her checkbook there with her pen. And I said, no, I have to explain to you about the books. And I made that poor woman sit. She finally just, <sighs> and let me explain about the whole books. And then she bought them and I left. And I thought that was really stupid. But I was trying to be obedient to what I'd been taught. But it, it did get better after that. But sometimes, you know, the woman would invite me in. She wanted the Bible stories and she quickly wanted to pay for them. She said, I don't want to hear about them. I just want to buy them. Please leave, go out the back door. My husband just arrived. I can't let him know I bought these. Just crazy stuff. But, you know, a lot of Bible studies got started out of it. And, and I tell you, when the time comes, Jerry and I retire, I want to do it again with you. I, I don't know that I can take the heat. But gosh, it's been working on my heart lately. I want to start going just door to door. You know, I've done surveys, Bible surveys and that kind of thing. But we've got a world to reach. And there's, Jesus is coming soon. And what you have done this summer is so important. We pray all the time, God, don't let those books sit in the corner. Get people to read them. Let them fall out of the bookcase shelves. And that they will read those books and learn that truth of what you want, God. I have to tell you, that I, I told you I'd share the one huge secret on having a successful Christian life. I want you to know I'm going to share that, but not right now, because I don't want you to leave. And I thought if I save it to the end, you might stay. Otherwise, you might get up and leave and, uh, on me. So I'll wait a little bit. But when I was a teenager, I was sick. I was in bed sick with a bad chest cold. And I don't know who it was, a Bible teacher or a student friend called me up and said, you got to come to school. There's a week of prayer going on. And the speaker, you got to hear the speaker. And I said, oh, okay. And so I, I crawled out of bed and I went over to hear the speaker. His name was Glenn Kuhn, which probably you don't know that name, but he wrote a book, many books on, on prayer. And one of them was the ABCs of prayer. And Glenn Kuhn was teaching us about claiming Bible promises. And I know a lot of you know this and do this. Some people make fun of it and say, oh yeah, we're going to put our finger on the promise and claim it. Like it's, like it's uh, you know, no, no big deal. But let me tell you, it is a big deal. God's word is full of his life and power. It's Jesus. Jesus' power coming into us. And, and I, I listened to this guy. I listened to story after story. And I started saying, okay, I'm going to do this. I bought some of his books. And, and one of the big things that I started with was, was my grades. My grades were terrible. I, I didn't like to study. Uh, my education in elementary had not been a good and not a stable situation. And so I, I'd rather party. I'd rather have fun. And, but it was important to my mother that I make good grades and I get into college. And so I started claiming James 1.5. And I'd kneel down by my bed and I, I would open my Bible to James 1.5 and I'd put my finger on that promise and I'd say, God, you promise wisdom here. Lord, I need wisdom so I'll make good grades and make my mother happy. And every day, every morning and night, I would claim that promise and put my finger on it. And you know what happened? Though I, I started uh, having a, a desire to study, it was really strange. 
and, and instead of watching the TV, and I, I'd go back in my room, and I started studying. And, and I kept studying. I started taking all these tests, and I was so shocked when the grades came out. I had straight A's. And I thought, wow, you know, I, I did this. And, and then I realized, no, I didn't do this. This was God who did this. God gave me the motivation to start studying and, and doing that more. And it wasn't he, that he suddenly instilled me with brains, but just, you know, gave me the incentive to start studying. I had a brother, a brother that, uh, I still have a brother, fortunately. Uh, but he, he was... Um, you know, living wild, running around, and, and for the first time that I could remember, I saw my mother in her bedroom on her knees, pleading and praying for my brother. And I realized, this is serious, you know? And so I, I started hunting through Glenn's books. You know, what promise can I claim? I didn't know my Bible that well then. And I found 1 John 5.16 that says, if you see your brother sinning a sin that does not lead unto death, you know, you can claim this promise and God will give him life. It doesn't say you can claim this promise, but it says God will give, you, give him life. So I started putting my finger on that promise from my brother. I said, God, convert my brother. Save my brother. He's breaking my mom's heart, Lord. Save my brother. Do you know, that brother became converted. It took a couple of years, but he became converted. And, and I'll never forget, he started preaching at me. And I just sit there, wow, this is great. He's preaching at me. But he went on to become a passionate soul winner for Jesus Christ, a, a preacher. There's power in God's word. And, and I know you know that, but, but the thing literally of putting your finger even on it, I don't think we always have to do that. But there is in, fi in volume five of the testimonies, page 322, it says the mother of Augustine. Augustine was a great spiritual reformer back 1400s or 1500s. It says, the mother of Augustine prayed for her son's conversion. She saw no evidence, no evidence that the Spirit of God was impressing his heart. But she was not discouraged. She laid her finger upon the text, presenting before God his own words, and pleaded only as a mother can plead. Her deep humiliation, her earnest importunities, her unwavering faith prevailed, and the Lord gave her the desire of her heart. Put your finger on those promises for what God you want God to do. I saw God do this with my son. You know that big tall guy that gets up here, Zach Page? We claimed so many promises for that boy, his dad and I. We'd pray together claiming those promises for him while Zach was living pretty bad. And we didn't know what was totally all going on, but it was bad. But God changed that boy. And I remember one time, I was I just found out some terrible thing, you know, he'd been involved in the night before. The next morning, I go into my worship time, and I said, God, when are you going to save this boy? When, God? And then, then I thought as I'm grabbing my Bible, I said, Lord, I need a, a special Bible promise just to claim for Zach, just one that you'd give me for Zach. I mean, there's a lot of the Bible you can claim in promises, but I want something personal. And then I got this idea, don't read your Bible like you've been doing, read a different version, this one. And, and, and I, you know, this is just quiet thoughts. And so I picked up a, a Bible version that I hadn't read in a couple, in about two years. And I, I had read it through two years before, and I picked it up. And as I go to open it, 
where I'd been reading in the other Bible, because I just, you know, keep reading, reading through. As I open it up, it falls open to Isaiah, to a verse that was highlighted in yellow, and beside it I had written the name Zach and the date of two years earlier. God was letting me know, I gave you a verse, Janet. You need to remember and claim that one. We serve a personal, intimate, powerful God in what he wants to, to do in our lives. But do you know there's a verse God will, you can claim for God to wake you up? In, in, uh, I had a, a Bible teacher who first got me into spending time with God, and, and, and he tells me, Janet, do you have trouble getting up in the morning? I said, oh, do I ever, because I love to sleep in. He says, well, you claim this promise, and, and God will wake you up. And I laughed, but I didn't want him to hear me because I, you know, I was afraid he wouldn't give me a good grade if I laughed at what he said. And, but he, he said this verse, and do you know God will really wake you up if you want him to? It's crazy. And, and I used to have to beg God. I said, Lord, I still can't get up. I know you woke me up, but you got to kick me out of this bed. I could keep you here for hours sharing how he gets me up or a friend. I used to pray God would get this friend up because she said, I'm not getting up early to spend time with God. No way. And so I started praying, God, you got to get her up. You got to get her up. And I'd claim Isaiah 50. That's the verse. Isaiah 50, verse 4. And I would claim that for her. And, and she started hearing a donkey bray outside her window. Every morning, it's still dark, early in the morning. And she got so disgusted and upset with this. And she started hunting the neighborhood in the daytime, trying to find this donkey. There was no donkey. And she finally said, Janet's praying. And she started getting up and spending time with God. And you know what? It turned out to be a beautiful thing. She says, oh, I just love that this early morning with God. But anyway, don't claim it. Don't do it if you don't want God to get you up. But look at it. Isaiah 50 verse 4. It's the last part of the verse. It says, he awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear is the learned. Now, we know this is a verse talking about Jesus, but it's a verse we can claim. Ellen White talks about it. I'm sorry I don't have the, the quote for you right now, but she talks about it, that it's a verse we can claim. And do you know why? The first part of the verse tells you why, and she talks about this. It wasn't for a few years later that I really focused in on the first part of it and realized why God wants to wake us up. I think there's many reasons, but this is a big one. Isaiah 50 verse 4, the first part says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. God wants to wake us up so that we will spend time with him, so that he can pour out his love on us and speak to us and teach us, so that we can then be led to the people he wants us to minister to. He may have them call us. He may have us meet them. But then he has, with the ways he's comforted and instructed us, he will use us to help that person. Over and over again he does that. But if we want to be powerful witnesses for God, if we want to have that love to pour out to them, it's got to come out of spending that time with Jesus. And you know this, but I have to share it anyway. But there's a lady, Diana. Diana was uh, an older lady. She'd been a school teacher, elementary teacher all of her life. 
But Diana had this strange way about her that I was always afraid to even approach her. She looked very angry. And what happened though, she read some book about the importance of Bible promises and she started, she said I never could memorize. So she'd write scriptures on cards and would just keep saying these scriptures over and over. You see, Diana had a problem. Diana's problem was she'd been raised in an alcoholic home and all she knew for her name for many years was four-letter words. She did not know she had a normal name. And she grew up with all these curse and swearing words in her mind. And even though she'd become converted, become an Adventist and all, she still had all of this in her mind. And though she might be looking at you, whatever, and she might not say anything out loud to you, she is cursing you in her mind if she's upset with you. And she'd been living with this for years. She struggled with it. She could not get over it. She couldn't stop doing it. But Diana started just carrying these promises with her and kept reading them over and over and over again. Plus, she was you know, spending time with Jesus, started doing that. Suddenly, one day, she realized those words weren't in her mind anymore. They were gone. Her husband took notice because he saw his wife change so much that he started doing it, but he started memorizing. He was able to memorize, and he started memorizing passages and things. This was a man who was uh, an important leader in our church, a pastor. He'd done uh, a lot of good everywhere. He had a terrible fear, many fears. Some days he could not get out of the bed because he was so fearful to face what he had to face that day. And also in the middle of the night, he would get up and would eat a half a carton or half a gallon of ice cream. Now, he was not big. He was still little. I don't know how he did it. Maybe he had a tapeworm. But he would do this, and he knew it wasn't good for him. You know, he's headed to have a heart attack. But he starts memorizing scripture, and one day he realized the fears were gone. He did not have all the fears, and he stopped eating the ice cream. It wasn't something he, I'm not going to do this anymore, but God had moved and healed in him and taken away those desires with him. I, I have a, a son, Tyson. Uh, Tyson is uh, just turned 40 in July. I have a son that's 40 years old. That You know how old I am then, right? Anyway, so you don't have to count. I'm 65. But anyway, um, Jerry's younger, though. I, I married a young man. But, um, that, Tyson. So Tyson, when he's in college, in my worship time one morning, you know, I just really sensed God was telling me Tyson should be a lawyer. But I just, no, no, no. No, I'm, I'm not telling Tyson that. There's, you know, he's got to decide what he does in life. Tyson realized about his senior year, I think, that he should be a lawyer. Uh, he was gifted for this. He even called me up one day saying, Mom, because he was taking business law class at college. He says, I know what should happen before I get to the end of the, the whole trial or whatever. And, but he didn't want to be a lawyer because lawyers have bad names. You know, not, they're not respected. And he went on to, to be uh, work in the hospital systems in the financial area. But he just was not happy. And he finally, as he and his wife prayed and prayed about it, 
felt like he had to be a lawyer. God was just calling him to do this. But, but now he's married. He has a little baby on the way. He's got to work almost, you know, almost full time. And he can't afford uh, to study much to go to school. But he starts going to nighttime school. Any lawyer will tell you it's very difficult to pass the bar exam going to night school. Uh, it, you'd need to do it in three years and be done and take the bar exam. And, but he was doing it in four years, going part-time. And plus, he had to work during the day. Well, guess what? Tyson's grades were not good. They were very, very poor grades, and he wasn't going to make it. Well, his wife, we lived in different areas, and we started calling each other on the phone. And what we started doing was praying scripture into Tyson's life. You ever prayed scripture into your life or into your, somebody you're praying for, their life? I'm not talking about just claiming promises, but I'm talking about praying the scripture into their lives. You can take like Colossians, Thessalonians, Ephesians. You can take all of the Bible and just pray it into people's lives. I don't know if, if um, maybe I should give you an example. Like uh, Colossians, it, it says like verse 9, do not cease to pray... Do not see, we do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom, spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord. You know what it says there? But we would you pray this into somebody's life. Lord, we will not cease to pray for them till you fill them with a knowledge of your will, Lord, with all wisdom and spiritual understanding, and, and that you make them walk worthy of you that they will please the Lord. You see what I'm saying? And, and um, as I prayed about it, I said, Lord, what can we pray for Tyson? I felt like Daniel, the book of Daniel, and especially Daniel 1. And we started praying Daniel 1. Uh, God led Tyson's wife, Sheena, to pray uh, Joseph, the story of Joseph into his life, and, and also some other uh, passages. But Daniel, especially the one, um, like verse 9, where it says... Uh, God gave Daniel in his favor with the chief of eunuchs. Well, Jerry's always made fun of me with this and said, I hope he doesn't make him into a eunuch. Fortunately, God hasn't. But we prayed, Lord, you gave Daniel favor with the chief of eunuchs. Give Tyson favor with the professors at his college, at the law school. Do you know God started doing that? Several of the professors started noticing Tyson and, and asking him to help up front and do stuff and gave him special awards. On down in, in Daniel, it, it says, God gave Daniel and his three friends all wisdom and knowledge and visions and dreams. As far as I know, Tyson hasn't had visions and dreams yet, but he gave him knowledge and wisdom. Tyson went from the bottom grades, bottom, you know, in the class, to the top third. When he graduated, he was the third highest. And when they figure the grades, it's not just for the nighttime, it's for all the day students too. So we're talking somewhere between 1,000 and 2,000 students. He graduates the third highest in the class. And if Tyson were here, he would tell you it was a God thing and how God did this. But there is power in God's word as we pray it into people's lives. And I had a, a, a problem, a female problem with my body, and I went to a doctor, and the doctor said I had a tumor in, in my uh, uterus, and 
And he told me I had to have a hysterectomy. I need to have everything removed. I said, well, why? Can't you just take out the tumor? He said, no, you, you might bleed to death. We need to take it all out. You just need to be done with all that. And, and I thought about it, and I thought, you know, I came into the world with this. I want to go out with it. I, I don't want this surgery. And, and I just heard there can be complications. A lot of women tell me, you know, it's great to get rid of it all, but, you know, I want to keep it. So I said, Lord, you know, I, I don't want to demand anything of you, but God, your word says in Psalms 103, 3, that, that you're the God who heals all our diseases. In Isaiah 54, you say that we are healed by Jesus' stripes. And, and I started taking these before God, and I started reading the Gospels through over and over. And I said, Lord, look, Jesus healed whole villages. God, you could heal me, but I don't want you to do it, Lord, unless it's your will. I want to be surrendered to your will. Help me to be surrendered to your will, because I'm not right now, but help me to be. And I just kept reading these stories over and over and, and praying this and praying this. And when it came time to have the surgery, it was in a, a city up in San Francisco area. And we uh, stayed at a pastor's home. They fortunately uh, let us because we couldn't afford, you know, a hotel there. And the surgery was at a medical center. And the night before the surgery, I, I really wanted to be anointed. And Jerry asked this couple, this pastoral couple, if they would anoint me. And so they, they said they would. So the night before, they had a special and beautiful, beautiful anointing service. They anointed me. And the next morning, we went to the surgery room about 5.30 in the morning and at the hospital. And, and on the way there, I said to Jerry, I said, Jerry, I don't think I have a tumor anymore. I think it's gone. And he says, well, what do you want to do about it? I said, um... I don't know, I guess, tell the doctor. And, and so I get there, and, and the, the nurses are trying to get me ready for surgery, and I said, um, can I talk to the surgeon? Can I talk to him? And they said, well, that's kind of difficult. You, you could talk to him on the phone, maybe. Let, let us see. So they get him on the phone. His name was Dr. Najat. And the, Dr. Najat says, uh, Janet, what do you want? I said, well, Dr. Najat, now this man's not a Christian. And I said, Dr. Najat, uh, I'm a Christian, and, and I believe in healings, and I was anointed last night. Uh, I, I don't think I have a tumor anymore. And he says, Janet, you have a tumor. It's four inches in diameter, it's the size of a grapefruit. I've seen it on pictures several times, sonogram. You have a tumor. I said, well, Dr. Najat, if you get in there and you find there's no tumor, now the kind of surgery they do, you know, with, with uh, tubes, scopes, they don't cut you wide open. And I said, if you get in there and you find there's no tumor, would you promise me you won't do a hysterectomy? You won't remove anything? And he said, Janet, you have a tumor. Everything needs to come out. I said, but Dr. Najat, I think I've been healed. If you, you get in there and there's no tumor, would you promise me you won't remove anything? Three times we had this conversation. He would say, Janet, you have a tumor. It's the size of a grapefruit. It must come out. Everything must come out. I said, but Dr. Najat, if you get in there and there's no tumor, would you please not remove anything? Would you promise me? He sighs after the third time of saying my name and says, okay, if there is no tumor, I will not remove anything. I said, thank you. <laughs> they give me... IVs, medication, they're pushing me through a door and that's it. I don't remember anything after that being pushed through that door. 
until I suddenly woke up with somebody shaking my shoulder going, Janet, Janet, wake up, wake up. They're pushing me down a hallway on a, on a stretcher, gurney. And the woman is saying, Janet, Janet, there was no tumor. Janet, there was no tumor. Now, I have prayed and prayed scripture promises into people's lives who have died. I'm not here telling you, if you do this and you do it exactly like this, you'll see total healing. No, please don't understand me. I'm not saying that. And I have struggles, illness problems and things that God has not chosen to heal me of yet. But there is power in God's word. And there's something about whatever is going on in my life that I know about, I am going to take his word and pray it into that situation. Not demanding of God, but saying, God, your will, your will. This is what you say. Your will, Lord, let it be done. We serve a powerful God. And I am convinced we are seeing things close up around this world. Uh, in so many places now, we don't do camp meeting anymore. Why? Oh, the finances and this and that. Where? Why don't we call on God's word? I don't believe these things should be happening. God is wanting us as his people to call on him, to pray his word, and let him bless in ways I don't think he would if we did not unitedly come together and pray his word together. Um, there's, there's more I could share. Just one quick one. I got to get to the thing I promised I'd share here. Um, Oh, there's so much. You know how personal, you know how personal he is. Just, just, I, I, I'm, Zach and I and Jerry, we, in Tyson even, we've done a lot of 14,000 foot mountains in Colorado, hiking them. And uh, I'm not doing that so much right now. But I was, I did about 25 or so. But the first one, it was my second one to do, but my first time alone without, some grown man. It was just going to be Zach and I. And Zach was just a teenager, a young teenager. And I was scared to death to take this boy out climbing a 14,000 foot peak that I'd never been up before. I didn't know what it was going to be like. And I'm just nervous. I couldn't sleep all night. And when I got up in the morning, God, as I opened my Bible to read that morning, and how he does it, I was reading in Psalms, I was reading through Psalms. As, as I start reading there, you know what it says? And how does he have us in the right verse at the right time, the right chapter? I don't know, but this doesn't happen if you don't spend time with God and in his word. But if you are, it happens so much all the time. But Psalm 77. Psalm 77. No. That was the second thing he did. That's what he did to me one time. We were camping in Colorado, and I was just praising him how beautiful it was and saying, God, you're so, you're so wonderful to let me be out here in nature. And in Psalm 73, it said, and that was another time, I just opened my Bible to start reading, and God shows me this. He said, truly, God is good to Israel. He's letting me know he is good to me. He's so personal. But, but the verse I, I was looking for is it Psalm 12, 33. Psalm 12. You know, I, I've written this down wrong. Psalm 33, 12. Let's try that. I think I'm dyslexic. I really goofed here. I don't know what I did with it. 
But it's a verse that says, and I could not believe it, but it says, I will protect you in the high mountains. I was headed up a 14,000 foot peak alone with a young teenage boy, and God shows me a verse, I will protect you in the high mountains. I went out that day with confidence because I knew God would be with us. And it was after that, we did many, many more. But what is the biggest secret to having a successful Christian life? See, I I know people through the years, uh, and this, this guy, he knew the Greek and the Hebrew back and forward. He knew his Bible. He knew his Bible really well. He tutored people in Greek and Hebrew. And yet this man abused his daughter terribly. So much so she's bipolar now. Uh, but God is changing that with her. And he abused his son, and his son has mental illness problems by uh, beating his son every day. This is a man who knew God's word, read God's word all the time. He was a specialist in it. I've known people who pray and, and known to pray and pray, and yet they, they do things that, that don't seem quite right. Uh, people who witness uh, there uh, may be evangelists and stuff and, and they've got issues and problems why is this what is it that's going to make the biggest difference in our christian life that's going to make it successful and you know the answer you know the answer to it. it's jesus it's jesus it's not about reading the bible it's not about praying it's about jesus it's, it's not about witnessing. It's Jesus. And, and it's spending that time knowing Jesus. And, and how do we do that? Uh, focusing on his life, on the Gospels, on, on uh, desire of ages, reading you know, about his life. It, it does involve reading and stuff, but it's, it's got to be a love relationship with Jesus. This woman that I started praying for God to wake her up, she hears a donkey. She calls me up one day and she says, would you come share, not come share, would you come to church? I'm going to give my testimony about spending time with God, what it's done for me. Well, I had the date open and so I went to hear her. And I'm sitting there listening to her share about this beautiful thing, you know, experience she was having and how God was changing her life. And I'm sitting there thinking, (laughs) you know, I'm the one that caused this. And all of a sudden, this soft, sharp thought in my mind, Janet, you've lost your first love. And I was so shocked. And I said, what? What? I serve you. I work for you all the time. What do you mean I've lost my first love? But, you know, I'm sitting there in church, and I'm just saying this in my mind. And when I got home and I, and I had time, you know, later to spend time just alone with God, I, I got down on my face. I said, God, what? What do you mean I've lost my first love? And I said, you know, I serve you. I just, I totally live in my life for you, God. And God said, think about how you're doing it. And you know what God started revealing to me? Yes, I was spending that time with God. I would read a few chapters. I would pray a little bit. And then I was off to do my emails and get my retreats organized and everything. And he said, you're constantly thinking of this. He said, you're not thinking about me in the worship time. You're thinking about, oh, soon I can go and and start organizing this event or doing this or that. And he, what God told me was, you love what your work is more than you love me. 
And I started weeping and crying. I said, God, I don't want to be like that. I said, Lord, change me. Give me back my first love for you. But it's got to be Jesus. Jesus. Jesus only. Jesus. If it's not about Jesus, what are we doing? It's a waste. Jerry, Jerry is a young guy when he, was, he went through a rebellious time and his dad was a call boarder. And that's the reason Jerry has such a passion to start this youth work that you do in, in, here in Pacific Union. And Jerry, went, his dad took him with him and his dad said, I mean, Jerry says to his dad, he said, you know, you're spending your whole life just sacrificing yourself, selling these books. And a lot of times you sell the books and you give the other call porters the money because they didn't sell so many so that they can put tires on their car and you give them money to feed them. And, and so, you know, money's tight at home. You're constantly giving, Dad. What, Dad? When you come to the end of this world and you find out there is no God and you've wasted your whole life just sacrificing and helping people. Aren't you going to be sorry? And his dad thought about it. And his dad said, if there is no God, I still want to live my life the way I'm living it because it brings me such joy, such peace. He said, Jesus is what it's all about. Jesus. You know, another thing with Jesus is, is to... to uh, I don't know how it is with you, but, but I'll, I'll, I'll sin and, and I don't want to go to Jesus because I've sinned and, you know, I've confessed this problem at least a hundred times and I'm afraid that God, Jesus, is angry at me. How can I go and confess it and ask him to forgive me again? I've asked him to forgive me a hundred times, at least for this one sin. And I did it willfully. How can I go? And I'd be afraid and I, I wouldn't, I would avoid God because I felt so bad about what I keep doing over and over. Do any of you struggle with this? Then I read and really started understanding 1 John 1, 9. And 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins... He is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus is the one who will change us. Jesus will do it. And I said, okay, I'm going to do this. So every time I did the sin, I would go to Jesus and say, I did it again. I wanted to do it again. I confess it is sin. Thank you for forgiveness. Your word here says you will forgive me. I'd put my finger on 1 John 1, 9 and say, God, don't just forgive me. Cleanse me from this sin. Give me a hatred for it. Do you know I did this over and over and over and over again, over a one particular sin problem? Over and over again, I kept doing it. And I'll never forget, several months had gone by. But one day I went to do the sin, which I dearly loved, and I could not do it. And I thought, whoa, I, I don't even want to do it. But I used to love to do it. And I tried to do it, and I could not do it. I just was abhorred at it. God has power that's absolutely amazing that if we will call on his name. But with that being that it's only Jesus, 
it's so important that we do spend time every day letting God search our lives. Like it says in Psalms 139, 23, 24, search me, O God. I think one of the biggest issues we have in our church is we don't take time to let God show us what we're really like and how we need to change. I've been afraid to do that because I don't want to know how I'm like because I don't think I could live with myself when I realized how bad I really was. But I started praying. I said, God, give me the strength to handle whatever you need to tell me, and then you got to change me, God. But Jeremiah 17:9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. That's me. That's you. We are deceitful with how we really are. We are desperately wicked, and only Jesus can change us. It's Jesus. When you, life is really bad, what do you do? I want to encourage you, don't turn to watching movies. Don't sit and eat that bag of potato chips. Don't eat that box of chocolate. Don't sit and drink that bottle of beer. Don't take those drugs. Don't look at that pornography. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Those things are worthless. They will not bring you happiness in the end. But when you leave here, it's going to be hard but know that you're being prayed for and keep coming to Jesus no matter how bad you feel you are. Satan will tempt you to do these things, but then he'll turn around and tell you how bad you are because you did them. Send him away. You know the best way to send him away? Start praying for somebody to be converted. He'll leave you alone. But John 6, 37 says, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. John 6, 37, the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. You see what it's saying? Jesus will never cast you out. Come to Jesus. When Jerry married me, we went on our honeymoon. And when we got to the place we were going to stay, you know how it is, you pick up the bride and you carry her into the bedroom. And Jerry tried to pick me up, but I'm a big woman, so he kind of dragged me into the bedroom. And he sat me down on the bed. Then he sat down next to me and he put his arm around me and he kissed me on the cheek. And then he said to me, Janet, I love you, but you have five years to get perfect or you're out. Uh, this coming Tuesday, I think, we will have been married like 34 years. So you know he didn't cast me out. <laughs> and I am not perfect. He, you, he could tell you all of that. I am not perfect. And Jerry has not kicked me out. You know that he didn't say that. But we are married. Or maybe he did say it, but he put up with me. We are married, we're in a covenant relationship with each other, and though I do something that he doesn't like, he doesn't say, get out. We're still married. You know, we gotta work things through. Now, we, with Jesus, are in a marriage relationship, and I know on earth that's a bad example because there's divorces all the time, but Jesus will not divorce you. You are in a covenant relationship with Jesus. Jesus will never divorce you. He loves you. The only way you can divorce Jesus is if you walk out the door. Only you can change that relationship. Jesus will not do it to you. And if we hang on to sin, 
we will walk away from Jesus. That's why we need to keep coming to Jesus and letting him change us. Pray through Psalm 22, Matthew 27, Isaiah 54. Pray through those chapters on the crucifixion of Jesus and say, Jesus, make it real in my life how you were broken. Let my heart be broken with what you went through for me. Keep coming to him. But I came across something one time, and, it, and I'm going to close with this. Oh, yes, i got to close really quick. Okay. It's, you say, and let me tell you, I need this. I really need this. What I'm saying to you today, I need, I need to remember and do more in my life. But you say it is impossible. God says all things are possible. Mark 10, 27, with man it's impossible, but not with God. But with God, all things are possible. You say, I'm too tired. God says, I will give you rest. Matthew 11:28. 28, come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. You say, nobody really loves me. God says, I love you. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You say, I can't go on. God says, my grace is sufficient. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. You say, I cannot figure things out. God says, I will direct your steps. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Psalm 32, 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. You say, I can't do it. God says, you can do all things. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You say, I'm not able. God says, I am able. 2 Corinthians 9.8, God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. You say, it's not worth it. God says, it will be worth it. Romans 8.28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. You say, I can't forgive myself. I can't forgive myself. God says, I forgive you. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Romans 8, 1, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You say, I cannot manage. God says, I will supply all your needs. Philippians 4, 19, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. You say, I'm afraid. Jesus, God says, I have not given you the spirit of fear. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of sound mind. You say, I'm always wor worried and frustrated. God says, cast all your care upon me. 1 Peter 5.7, casting all your care on him, for he careth for you. You say, I'm not smart enough. God says, I will give you wisdom. 
James 1.5, 1 Corinthians 1.3, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Jesus is your sanctification. Jesus is your redemption. And the last one, you say, I feel all alone. And God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. John 14, 18, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Hebrews 13, 5, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We serve a mighty God. Will you bow your heads with me? And Lord, as we pray right now, I, I just want to have a, a moment of silence and give each one of you a chance to just talk to God. If the Holy Spirit has somehow convicted your heart during this time, would you just talk to him about it? Maybe you need to confess a sin. Or maybe you need to make a new, renewed commitment to him. Or maybe you need to accept Jesus into your life and get baptized. I don't know what it could be, but just talk to him now and then I'll close. Never forget 1 John 1, 9, that we can't even repent. Repentance is a gift from God. And say, God, give me the gift of repentance for this sin in my life. And thank him for doing it. Lord, you're amazing. You're amazing. Thank you, thank you, God, for putting up with me, for putting up with all of us, Lord. We love you, Lord. I just feel like I have to do this. I know I'm over time, but is there anyone here, maybe that hasn't accepted Jesus, that hasn't been baptized yet? If, if there's someone here who needs to renew that vow or, or to accept Jesus afresh or, to, or wants to make that commitment to study to be baptized, if there just happens to be someone in the room right now like that, would you just come forward? And, and uh, a leader will come up and, and pray specially for you right now. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, that everyone here has accepted you and loves you. We just pray you'll bless the rest of today, Father, that you'll continue to lead us to, to minister to each other, to pray for each other, and to sense you hearing and, and talking to us, and that we'll be obedient, Lord, to what you're saying, that we'll act on it. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.